The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Shane. A uh, very, very warm welcome to you if you are new here at LCC. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors uh, and elders here at LCC Northlakes. And um, if, you, if you're here last week, I apologize. I did lie to you. I did tell you that this morning we're going to start a new series looking at making disciples and what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus and how individually and as a church we're going to seek to do that. Uh, we're not doing that this morning because uh, I felt like everyone else got to do an encounter with Jesus except for me. And so I wanted to do an encounter with Jesus this morning and so that's what, that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to look at this story of Jesus and Barabbas and ask kind of the questions is, what is God revealing through this story to us just moments before his death on a cross? And so uh, before we do that, I'll just ask if you would just bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you are with us this morning. Thank you that you're here by your spirit. And I just pray as we open your word, as we look at what you have to say to us, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear and to see what you have for us, that we might leave as people changed by your living word, that we might go out from here trusting you all the more, knowing you all the more, seeking to follow you in all that we do. And it's your mighty and wonderful name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been kind of charged or accused of something that you didn't actually do. Have you been accused of something that you're like, actually, that, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Well, this happened to me in grade 12, actually. It's, we went to a Catholic school, and one of the teachers one time asked me to write an assignment about a story of the Bible. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was like a parable. Write a story of the parable. But this is before I was a Christian. I knew nothing about the Bible, just kind of what I was taught at the Catholic school. And so uh, I remember my friend Mitch Robinson, he gave me a book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. And it's just about the, the story of the prodigal son that we see in Luke. And so I was like, cool, I'll just use this and I'll write the story that way. And so I wrote this story about the, the prodigal son. And, and, and uh, I remember my friend at the time, her, we'll call her Mary. Her name is Mary. She, she asked me, she's like, Shane, I'm really struggling to write this assignment. Like, I don't know any stories from the Bible. I don't know anything like that. And I was just like, oh, cool, you can, here's my assignment I've done. It was pretty easy. Have a look just to see how I kind of laid it out and go from there. And then I remember it was probably two weeks later, I get called into the principal's office. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what's going on here? And the principal, he turns to me, he goes, hey, Shane, we've got a problem. I think you've plagiarized, I think you've copied Mary's assignment. And I was like, well, what? hold up. Why do you think that I copied Mary's assignment? And he goes, well, your assignments are the exact same, and she told me, that she did hers independently. And in that moment, I'm like, the justice is rising up with him. I'm like, how dare my friend do this to me? But two, how come he thinks that I'm the one that copied her? And so I'm like, oh, like I'm about to argue my case. And I said, well, well, actually, I didn't copy Mary. And he's like, well, how do we know that, Shane? And I was like, well, I didn't copy Mary, but I did copy this guy called Tim Keller. And I pulled the book out and I showed him. I was like, I got my assignment from this. And he's kind of opened, looked in the book and he's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I believe you now. And so then Mary had to rewrite her assignment, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like, I didn't do that. I was innocent, and I proved that I was innocent. But we get to this story today of Jesus who was accused of something that he didn't actually do. And as we walk through this story, we're going to see how he responds to this situation. Does he argue back to be like, no, I'm innocent of this, or does he go along? And I think it's fascinating as we see this story, because I don't know about you, but does anyone here like know what Jesus was actually charged with? Like, like, why did they want to kill Jesus? Like, if you do, feel free to shout, shout out if you know anything about what, what was actually charged for. He was actually charged for blasphemy first and foremost. 
The Jewish leaders were charging him for blasphemy. That's why they wanted to kill him. But they couldn't kill him for blasphemy. So they, they trumped up these other false charges and brought them to the, to the Romans. They, his, his, his treason. They charged him for treason, that he was going against the Roman Empire and that he was refusing to pay taxes. But we know that's not the case at all. We have stories of Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so he was charged with blasphemy. And they wanted him dead because of this. I have a lot of conversations with, with Christians. I have a lot of conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses, with, with Jewish people, with Muslims, uh, arguing like, if Jesus was God, why did not he just, why didn't he just come out and say, I'm God? Like, why, like, there's all these subtle little verses that we got, yeah, but why didn't he just say, I'm God? And my answer to that is, I think he did. Like, I'm pretty sure that he did that. Like, that's why they're trying to kill him. Like, for instance, the whole book of Luke, Jesus uh, continually refers to himself as the Son of Man. This kind of messianic title that he's taken upon himself that if we were listening when we went through the, the book of Daniel, that we realized the Son of Man is the one who is going to come in the future and establish a kingdom that will rule and reign forevermore. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm that guy. And then as we, we look through the book of John, we get to John 8, where Jesus is having this argument with the Jewish leaders about Abraham. And they're like, how can you... like?" You, Abraham saw your day, like you're not even 50 years old. What are you talking about? And Jesus responds and goes, hey, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And he takes upon himself this title that we see in Exodus of Yahweh. He's saying, hey, I am. And so Jesus, clear as day, is saying, I am God. And probably one of the most famous passages is in John 10, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Like, like, I and the Father are one. And this word one here means same in nature and essence. He's saying, hey, me and God, we're one. And so for us in our kind of Western cultured ears, 21st century, we might not hear as clear as day of Jesus saying that he is God, but he is. And if you don't believe me, let's see how those who are around him when he says stuff like this, how they responded. Because right after Jesus said, I and the Father are one, we read this in verse 31, John 10. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for the good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. And then listen to this. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Like to them, it was clear as day that Jesus was claiming to be God. And so for us in our 21st century, we need to see that the Jesus never shone back from proclaiming that he is the great I am, that he is God himself. And this is why they sought to kill him. They were saying he is blasphemous because he is a man creating, a man who was created claiming to be God. But we know it's not blasphemy if he actually is God. And so they take Jesus and we kind of see this story because they're unable to crucify him just based on the Jewish law of him claiming to be God. And so they, they trump up these charges and they bring him before Pilate. And Pilate kind of looks at him and he's just like, well, I don't see any fault in him. So they send him over to Herod and Herod's like, yeah, I don't see any fault in him either. And so they send him back to Pilate. So like, there's this back and forth going on here. And then Pilate just like, he doesn't see any fault in him again. And so he beats him and whips him and he spits on him and he, he mocks him. He kind of brings him up before the crowd. And this is, this is where we start the story here. And, and Pilate's like to Jesus, hey, like, do you know what they're charging you with here? Like, do you know what they're saying that you did? And Jesus just, just doesn't respond to him. 
And I, I wonder why. Why doesn't Jesus turn back and go, yeah, I know. Like, maybe he didn't actually know what they were charging him with, which I think isn't true. Maybe he was so beaten that he couldn't respond. Or maybe Jesus saw something that, that the Romans couldn't see, that Pilate couldn't see, that the Jews couldn't see. Maybe he didn't respond to the, 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 the question of, do you know what you're being charged with? Because what he was being charged with wasn't even the real reason he was there. It didn't matter what they were charging with. That wasn't the real reason that Jesus was standing there that day before Pilate. And so what's interesting about this story is it's actually a story that's recorded in every single one of the Gospels. It's even mentioned in Acts. And so God wants us to see something through the story of Jesus and Barabbas that is fundamental to how we understand what is going to unravel through through the redemption of us because of Jesus on the cross. So something happens on the cross in, in moments after this that we get a glimpse into through this story. It's not just a significant moment in Jesus' journey to the cross. God is revealing to us his redemptive plan that had been there all along, from the beginning of time. And so we're just going to walk through this together quickly and just see what God is revealing to us through this. And so Jesus gets to Pilate. Pilate's like talking to him, like, hey, like, what, what, what is going on? Why, why won't you talk to me? And, and I love this. Jesus kind of responds to him. Just looks at, looks at Pilate and goes... Like Pilate's like, hey, why won't you talk to me? Do you know I have the authority to either crucify you or release you? And Jesus looks at him and goes, you would have no authority unless it was given to you from my father. It's kind of like, Pilate, you're, like, you're not in control here. Pilate, you don't, you don't have any idea what is going on. Like, Pilate, you're not the pilot of this situation. Jesus is, the father is. And so he comes before Pilate and, and you kind of get the sense as we read this story that Pilate actually thinks Jesus might be innocent. It, like it says that he knows that the Jewish leaders only brought him there because of envy. We, we get that picture that his wife comes to him. She was woken up by a dream and she suffered much, being like, hey, hey Pilate, don't have anything to do with this innocent man, this just man. And so Pilate's kind of get this idea that he doesn't actually think that Jesus is guilty. So in this kind of attempt to, to, to in a way, free Jesus, let this innocent man go, he brings forth this man named Barabbas. And so let's, let's read in verse 15. It says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release the crowd of one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered Pilate, when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And so there was this custom at the time that the Romans would actually release one of the Jewish prisoners around the time of Passover, is this kind of a way to appease the Jewish people. And, and, and here in this story, he brings forth this man named Barabbas. And maybe if we're reading this story, we think kind of Barabbas was the only criminal at the time, that, so he just brought forward anyone. But there, there would have been many, 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 hundreds of thousands of prisoners at that time. And so we kind of get the sense that Pilate is bringing forth Barabbas because he's a notorious criminal. Like he is a bad, bad man. It's kind of like, like nobody would want this guy free. And so it's like, okay, like there's no way that they would choose Barabbas. The other gospels call Barabbas, he's a murderer, he's a robber. He's a violent man who was in there for treason as well. And so Pilate's like, okay, they're charging Jesus with treason. This guy is, is way worse than that. They're charging him with treason, but also murder and robbery. He's a rebel, he's a criminal. A notor- like, he was the, the worst kind of worst man. 
The kind that you're like, you're thankful that he's locked up. And so, so Pilate brings Barabbas forward and kind of sets him up on the stage beside Jesus and asks him, like, who, who do you want? Like, whom do you want me to release? Barabbas? And, and even in how he asks this question, we get a glimpse of, of like what Pilate is thinking, how crazy this is. Like, who do you want me to release? Barabbas or Jesus, whom they call Christ? Like, like who, this criminal or Jesus, this, this brutal murderer? Whom you're claiming, like, who is, who is the anointed one, the Messiah? And I just imagine being there in that moment as these two men are paraded up onto the stage. And you're like, who do you want us to free? There's this beaten, innocent son of God. And on the other side, this notorious murderer, robber, rebel. And I'm like, like, are you serious? That's not a choice. Like, that's not a cho- like that is blasphemy. Sending the Son of God on a stage with a murderer and letting people choose? I just imagine being there and they're kind of like, what is going on here? Like, the, the absurdity of the situation. There's one who takes lives and there's one who gives lives and we're just told to choose. And as you're standing there in the crowd, you just start to hear, Barabbas, yeah, free Barabbas. Yeah, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And he's like, are you serious? You want, we want Barabbas? Like he has murdered people. He has stolen from people. He has called, called violence, ruckus all through the city. Like why do you want this notorious criminal? And then there's Jesus. What has Jesus done but heal and restore and redeem and open the eyes of the blind and bring Lazarus back from the dead? That's not a choice. Why do you want Barabbas? Who would want Barabbas? Like, why do you want this man free? Like, who wants Barabbas free? And then as I'm reading this during the week, I'm like, Jesus does. Jesus wants Barabbas free. Like, Jesus wants to free Barabbas. It is always meant to be from the beginning of time, Jesus' life for Barabbas. It was always going to be Jesus for Barabbas. And as we read this, we see this beautiful moment of the great exchange of God between the Son of Man, the innocent Lamb of God for the guilty criminal. Jesus' life for Barabbas. And what did Barabbas do? Nothing to earn it. Nothing at all. He just stood there as they took his chains off and walked away. See, the Father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. The father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas, sending him to the cross so Barabbas could walk away free like Jesus deserved. Jesus bore the guilt and the shame and the curse and the disgrace that Barabbas deserved so Barabbas could have the freedom that was Christ. Church, as we read this story, we need to see that we are Barabbas. Like we are the Barabbases in this story. We are Barabbas. In the height and depth of our sin and rebellion, Christ died for us. He took our place on the cross. In our darkness, in our mess, he said, I will take that. And then gave us his freedom. Like this is the craziness of the gospel. So all our sin, all our fail, all our shortcoming are nailed to the cross of Christ. And in return, he gives us his freedom and his righteousness. That we might have a relationship with the Father. Like that is the insanity of the gospel. Like it isn't fair, but it's true. 
Like Jesus took our place. We are Barabbas, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. We see this beautiful thing that we call Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross. Where there's a substitute. Jesus just didn't die in our place. He died for us. Like that's our cross that he took upon himself. Like our salvation is not because we cleaned ourselves up. We don't have salvation because we earned it. Like we didn't didn't deserve it at all. There is nothing within us that can save us, that can get ourselves free. It is all because Christ took our place on the cross. That is the only reason we can stand as freed people. Because Jesus paid the debt that we deserved. Christ took our death and gave us his life. Just we are Barabbas. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still sinners. And I love that they chose Barabbas, like the, the, the worst kind of criminal, to, to paint a picture. No matter how bad of a sinner you are, your sin has been paid for on the cross. There is a God out there that loves you so much. His love is so deep and wide and vast that he would send his own son to pay the debt that we deserve so that we could walk free. That's the story that we're looking at today. That Jesus took Barabbas' place. That Jesus took our place on the cross. And what I love that we see in this is that there is no amount of sin that can outweigh the power of the cross. There's no matter shortcomings and failures and stuff-ups in your life that can outweigh the power of the cross. And I'm not just talking about before you were a Christian. I think that's easy for us to understand. Yeah, we made a decision to follow Christ, so I'm forgiven for all that. I'm talking about the sin that you continually fall in day in, day out. The temptation that you face even now, this morning, the sins you committed. It's been forgiven on the cross for those who place their trust in Jesus. Your sins have been forgiven past, present, and future, fully, freely, and forever. Like on the cross, all sins are future sins. And so as we walk today, we need to walk as people who have been freed by the blood of Jesus. We need to see that. We need to feel that. Do do we know that this morning? And I don't just mean know that in our heads. Like, Like, Do we know that in our hearts, that our sins have been forgiven? Even the sins that we continually walk in. Like they've been forgiven. And not just forgiven, we've been given the power of God that we can push them back, that we can say no more to this sin. Like we don't know how Barabbas responded to this. We don't don't get an account of that. We don't know if he turned to Jesus and said, thank you so much. He doesn't say that. But now as Christians, we are called to not just walk in forgiveness of sins, but walk as righteous, holy people fighting back the temptation of sin. We have been freed from the power of sin over our lives. And we are to seek to live lives worthy of the gospel. What's interesting about this story, and I, I love just the symbolism in this. Uh, the name Barabbas, if you didn't know, actually means son of the father. Bar means son, and Abba, as we would know, means father. And so this picture of Jesus died on the cross so all the sons and daughters of the father could go free. All the Barabbases of this world could go free. Romans 8.15 says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus died on the cross so all the sons and daughters of God could walk free. He brought us into the family. And I love this picture. John Stott writes this, 
says, The concept of substitution may be said to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. God taking our place on the cross. And as we read this story, in the midst of this exchange between Barabbas and Jesus, as Barabbas is let free, Pilate turns to the crowd and asks this question. He says, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What should I do now with Jesus? Like, what, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And this is a question that, that Pilate asked the crowd back then, but a question that we need to answer, every single person in history needs to answer, what do we do with Jesus? He is either the blasphemer who claims to be God, or he is God. He is either Lord and Savior of our life who took our sins on the cross and gave us his righteousness, or he's just a man. And we need to make a decision about where we stand, what we do with Jesus, because there's no middle ground. He's either Lord and Savior of your life, or he's not. And it says, as, as Pilate sat on the judgment seat that day, there are only two places in all of history where our sins will be judged. Either when we die and we stand before God and argue, or on the cross of Christ at Calvary. And it's our choice where we put our sins. For those who, when they die, who come before God and kind of argue, no, I was a good person. Like, I did, I did good things. It's not going to go well for you. But for those who, when we die, we stand before Jesus. We stand before God and say, Jesus paid my debt. Look at Jesus. For us, we receive life and joy in the presence of God forevermore. But we need to answer that question. What do we do with Jesus? If you're not a Christian here this morning, that's a question that we need to answer. Like, what do you do with this man named Jesus who claimed to be God, who died on a cross and rose again? And if we are Christians here this morning, we know the good news of the gospel. We need to ask ourselves honestly, what are we doing with Jesus? Like, is he our Lord and Savior? Or is he someone who claimed to be God that we just put on the back foot? And every now and again, we, we turn and ask him for things. Like, what do we do with Jesus. And so whilst Pilate asked the question to the crowd and they began to yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Like we see Pilate again, shocked at the situation. He's like, why? Like what evil has this man done? And they just ignored Pilate and kept yelling, crucify him. Like let him be crucified. And so we read this, it says, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather the riot was beginning, he shook water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then they released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Like, if I'm being honest this morning, which you would hope I would be, if I'm there that day, and I kind of know what I know now, I'm standing in that crowd, and Pilate goes, what do we do with Jesus? I too am yelling, crucify him. I too, like, not because I want to. Like, I know that cross is mine. Like, I deserve that death. But I can't atone for my sins. Like, I, well, I can pay for my own sins, but I can't carry the sins of the world. I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior. 
And so I'm yelling, crucify him. Like the world needs a savior. No one else can carry the sins of the world and pay that price on the cross. It had to be Jesus. It was always going to be Jesus from the beginning of time. Jesus had to be the one that hung there on the tree. It had to be God himself. He is our only hope. As we read this story, I'm like, I would be in tears yelling, crucify him because I need a savior. The world needs a savior. And we are lucky because we have one in Jesus. That he willfully went to the cross and died for us. And so in that moment while the world saw this innocent man die, the father saw the plan of redemption unfold. As his son went to the cross for the justification of the world. That all who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. And in that moment, we saw the culmination of all of history pointing to this. The Son of Man on the cross at Calvary, being crucified. It was always meant to be the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. Like the cross wasn't plan B. Like no one was shocked when Jesus and Barabbas were swapped. Like the Father wasn't shocked. The Spirit wasn't shocked. They're like, oh, that's bad luck. No, it was always the plan for Jesus to go to the cross. All of Scripture testifies to this. And as I was reading and studying this passage this week, like, yes, there is this beautiful picture of the great exchange between God and us. But I think we also see this other picture of these beautiful parallels between the Passover that we read about in Exodus and the story of Jesus and Barabbas. And so if you don't know this Passover story, uh, what's kind of like the Israelites, God's people were in slavery in Egypt still. And in a kind of a final attempt to rescue them, God said to his people, what I want you to do is to get an innocent, faultless lamb, slay the lamb, and rub the blood above your doorway. And so as the angel of death passes over that night, anyone with the blood of the lamb would be spared, and anyone who didn't, their firstborn son would be killed. And so what does, what does that story have to do with Jesus and Barabbas? Well, for one, I don't think it was a coincidence that this story occurs, this, this moment where Jesus is taken and Barabbas is freed, there's no coincidence it occurs during Passover. I don't think it's a coincidence that Pilate again, over and over again, called Jesus the innocent, faultless one. I don't think it's a coincidence that Barabbas' name means son of the father, like the firstborn son in the story, the Passover. And so just as the Lamb of God was killed that night in Egypt, to spare God's children, Israel, his firstborn, in this story, we see the Lamb of God being slain. And so all the sons and daughters of God's people can go free. All the sons and daughters of God's people. Might, like what an amazing picture of divine grace that God himself came down, shed his blood and said, I will take the blow of death so that you don't have to. And it doesn't just stop there. Like in, in the Jewish people's ignorance and arrogance, they yell out, his blood be on us and our children. Like they had no idea what they were actually saying in that moment. Asking for the blood of Jesus to be on them. But God did in his mercy and his grace. Was like, yeah, it's going to be on you. Israel has always been God's people and always will be God's people. And we have all been welcomed into that family of those under the blood of Christ. 
God's faithfulness is greater than we can ever imagine. His mercy is greater than we can ever imagine. His grace is greater. His love is greater than we can even fathom. And even in the moment, like the height of Israel's rebellion, we see this beautiful act of grace where he's like, yeah, my blood will be on you. All of my children who receive me, who come and place their trust in me. And the good news for us is his blood is enough. Like his blood is enough for our justification. His blood is enough for our sanctification. His blood is enough for our salvation, our redemption, our glorification. Jesus is enough. It always has been. He always will be enough for us. Do we spend our time believing that, living in that freedom, living in the grace of Christ? Or do we still strive and act like we can pull our socks up and, and do this thing called Christianity and, and save ourselves and, and sanctify ourselves? Or do we trust in the blood of Jesus and partner with the God of the universe? God wants us to pay attention to Barabbas because in Barabbas we see ourselves. We see God stepping into the story and showing us that it's always been Jesus for the Barabbases of this world. What is about to happen on a cross is going to be a substitution between the God of the universe and wretched sinners like you and me. That we might be freed from our sin, that we might be forgiven for our sin, that we might walk in that. Now being welcomed into the family of God as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the Father. And so in what John Piper calls history's most spectacular sin, we actually see the moment in history where salvation was made possible for all who would believe. And one man's death brought, brought life to all. And so church, there's a question we need to ask this morning. Like, what do we do with Jesus? Uh, do we identify ourselves with Barabbas? Have we been freed by the blood of the Lamb who has taken the blow of death for us? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.